A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. This is Paul Hawksby and this is the H&J Daily with some of the best bits of this afternoon's show. Well, uh, we were joined by the... uh, Ex-jump jockey, fantastic uh, guy, Barry Geraghty's amazing uh, autobiography is out and uh, we chatted him about that. Uh, Keith Deller joined us as well. There's a bit of controversy in the world of darts with uh, the two-time world champion Gary Anderson and uh, Keith, a former world champion himself, told us about some of the dirty tricks that go on in the game uh, over the years. Uh, Plus, John Day was back, a man who knows more about pigeon racing than any of us, which isn't difficult, of course. But um, he was telling us about this uh, pigeon that sold to a Chinese buyer for 1.4 million. And he said it's a bit of a bargain. He'll explain all. Plus, of course, Andy and I had a chat. Here it all is. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Andy. Good afternoon, Paul. And Deputy Chief Medical Officer Jonathan Van Tam, who you like to call Claude. Claude, Jean Claude. Jean Claude, yeah. Yeah, Jonathan Van Tam has, he loves a penalty analogy. He's talking about the second uh, vaccination that's just was revealed yesterday with a very high uh, success rate. And he says the result was brilliant news, describing it as the second penalty that's also gone into the back of the net. As long as he doesn't talk, start talking about sudden death, we'll be all right. Yeah, okay. that's that would be good. Yeah. <laughs> no, it wouldn't really. Uh, Mido is, uh, he's always very amusing, isn't he, Mido? You had a lot of fun watching him over the years at Tottenham. He, he must be harboring a grudge because he's not much of a fan of Gareth Southgate. He's advised the FA to get rid of Gareth, appoint Jose Mourinho and make Gareth the chairman of the FA. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay, nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice idea. Yeah. He has got an axe to grind though, didn't he? He was, I think, yeah, Gareth, said, yeah. yeah, that's right. So there is, there is a problem with that, of course. Uh, there is slightly. And uh, Miguel Almiron's agent as well, he's very, very amusing. He said that his client wanted to leave. He wants to leave Newcastle. And he would have left Newcastle in the summer if it hadn't been for the coronavirus. I think, well, really, I mean, the transfer window still kept going, didn't it? As far as I know, it didn't close down. <laughs> he said, oh, Atletico wanted him. They said, oh, yeah, all right. No, he's a good good enough player. But uh, Newcastle fans would be disappointed, really. I mean, they've sort of stood behind him for ages when he wasn't that good. And then he suddenly started scoring a couple of goals and has been a lot better. Yeah. So, you know, it's a bit. they'll be frustrated that he wants to go. Uh, Andy, um, I'm not sure you're aware of this because you've not been watching, but I, I, I don't watch all the time, but I happened upon I'm a Celebrity last night and there was a bit of a oh, football yeah. flavour to it because uh, Jordan North, one of the uh, competitors, had to do a task which uh, frightened the life out of him, clearly. And I think, mm. I don't know if it was his, because I came to it late, but I think Shane Ritchie did it yeah. with him, was saying... 
just think of a happy place when you're in that sort of hole surrounded by rats and the snakes. <laughs> so he's a Burnley yeah. fan. So throughout it, he had a <laughs> yeah. shout-out combination of uh, numbers and stuff. So they they opened up and got a lot of meals. You know the drill. You've seen it enough times. Yeah, sure. So yeah, he was shouting yeah, yeah. things like, 20 degrees north, happy place, happy place, turf more. Uh, 25 <laughs> degrees west, happy place, happy place, turf more. So uh, even the Burnley players have reacted to it today, and you just know as soon oh, yeah. as crowds are back, first game that he'll be on the pitch, when he and the fans will be singing yeah, happy place, happy <laughs> yeah. place. Although, as, as Anandek uh, did say, uh, they after the season, after the start they've made Burnley, mm. you'd hate to think where his miserable place was at the moment. <laughs> so, That's very true. But it was, yeah, the, it was um, good. He, he put it on the map. And even say, even some of the players, including Jay Rodriguez, have been, have been reacting to it today. Um, Jim Shelley's been in touch, by the way. He says, if the bidding for that yeah. racing pigeon started at uh, two euros, was it Ed Woodward that bought it for 1.2 million? <laughs> yeah, there we are. Yeah, you can say that, Jim. Yeah. We couldn't. Um, so, yes, um, we've got some other stuff to we... get you involved in a little bit later on as well. But, Andy, carry on. Yeah, we should pay tribute to uh, Eric Hall. Absolutely. Late yeah. Eric Hall. Great Eric Hall. I, I, I was a good friend of Eric. I really liked him. I met him in 1987. I was looking back at it uh, through Fash. I interviewed Fash for FHM magazine. Yeah. And uh, mm. he was just always fun. He's, he's also in the Dennis Wise Phoenix, Phoenix from the Flames with Skinner and Badil. So I had a look at that this morning as oh, well. Okay, brilliant. It's very funny. And he just was just... He had all his expressions. I mean, everybody knows monster, monster, but there was Bubbler and Emerson, Emerson, Emma Funny, Emma Funny. All the, he had like a whole series of catchphrases, which were great. And uh, the cigar, ever-present cigar. And I was fascinated by Eric's hair. He had this incredibly dark hair. No, not a grey yeah. hair on his head. No. Even when he had his head, because he'd have like a number one and he'd still have it really dark. But he was, a, he was a really fun guy. We used to go down to Scribes at Terry Venable's club and he'd invite us down there generally. Generous, generous guy, fun guy. I, I was looking through the tributes to him. So many nice things said by people. Yeah, I dealt with him quite a lot with the magazines, trying to book players, and then sometimes you'd get like some outrageous price to chat to somebody, so we'd sort of laugh about it. But in the end, often he'd come through and, and we'd come to some arrangement. Maybe he had something to promote or he'd just <laughs> offer the player anyway. Yeah. Um, but I, I used to do... I did a little bit of telly back in the day. It was, it was an ITV digital thing. It used to go out at lunchtimes, and I'd wander over from the 90-minute studios... Jeremy Nicholas used to present it. The West Ham fans will know Jeremy. He was on their PA for many years and broadcaster. And I did a, quite a few of those with Eric over the years, and they were always good fun. And he got one of his players into a club. I'll spare the players blushes. And the player wasn't doing particularly well. And I said to Eric uh, on air, I said, honestly, you must be a magi magician, because I'd heard how much the guy was on. And I said, yeah. I can't believe you've got him 15 grand a week. <laughs> And he said, don't believe everything you read. Don't, that's rubbish. Don't believe everything. That's complete rubbish, 15 grand a week. So we went to an ad break. So as soon as the red light went off, he said, it was 17 grand a week. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I did a show with uh, on talk radio before it came to talk sport with Caesar the Geezer. That's a name from the past, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, Eric and I were guests on Caesar the Geezer's show. It was one wow. of my first bits of radio. Yeah, it was good, good fun. So, yeah. yeah, he'll be sadly missed. And you forget the music, he, uh, the the, the work he did in the music industry as well and there's a lot of pictures of him and Freddie Mercury emerging today and he was the mm. uh, EMI press officer who got uh, the Sex Pistols on the Bill Grundy show so it was responsible <laughs> for a bit of iconic telly was uh, was Eric. Yeah, so. it was. It's so true. yeah, more sad news after a, a, a week of, uh, of really sad news. 
The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. We're going to hear now, uh, we're going to talk about Dart Skullduggery. And you may have even Good. seen this interview on Sky. We'll play you a little bit of it now. Gary Anderson, two-time world champion, wasn't particularly happy after a, a, a game he played, I think it was last night, wasn't it? Or was it the night before? Anyway, let's have a listen to what Gary had to say about uh, his opponent and what was going on in the match. You know what, it's nice to play darts, but you get players that snark in your ear every time you throw. You know, it always seems to come from the same team, then it gets on your nerves a bit. So, would I pull out? Yeah, because darts isn't darts anymore. It's a bit of a, that's got you now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You need to have a, a word with everyone that watches darts and uh, they call it games and shit. I call it cheating. And I'll see them through there when I go through. What's upset you? What's upset me? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's not upset me. I ask a lot of players, they don't say anything, I'll say something. You know, it's, if they're all sniffing, they better get the test again. You know, that's, that's the way I look at it. There we are, Gary Anderson, not at all happy. So how common is this? I mean, we, we often hear players complain, don't we, along the way. But um, anyway, yeah. let's... Um, Let's cross now to Keith Deller, former uh, world champion who can maybe fill us in. He's obviously still on the circuit these days, behind the scenes. Good afternoon, Keith. Hi, Paul. Hi, Andy. So, Hi, um, I mean, how, can you? what is Gary's problem? Maybe let's deal with this specifically. Can you understand Gary's frustration with what's going on in this game from what you've heard? Well, I was actually spotting the game for Sky Sports yesterday, right. and uh, obviously we can't see nothing sitting in the truck. And... Uh, so really quite surprised, actually, when the um, interview happened. We were just thinking, because obviously Gary's had a problem with his leg and uh, maybe he was going to talk about, you know, is he in any pain, et cetera. And then he just went straight off and uh, wasn't a happy guy, was he? And, uh, you know, there is a lot of stuff goes goes on. Like, that's been going on for years, Paul and Andy. I mean, in our day, there was always the old tricks where you take the darts out the board slow, have a little look at the scores, take it a bit longer, it's a quick player. You know, the um, players was trying to slow you up and everything like that. But um, it's, I don't know, I, I, I couldn't see anything wrong, but obviously Gary wasn't happy. And, uh, yeah, Gary is the sort of player that he, he won't hold back. He will say what he thinks. <laughs> yeah, I think, Keith, it's one thing to disrupt a, a player's rhythm. That happens in lots of sports. It happens in cricket a lot too. But they, to, to sort of actually, you know, that thing when a bloke's about to take a golf shot, you go, <clears throat> as he shoots, you know, that, I suppose that's the sort of thing that people don't like. And this sounds a bit like in that area. Yeah, I agree. I mean, also the old trick as well, Andy, is they tap the darts. You can hear the little click of the darts. I mean, that is annoying as well. And, uh, yeah, you can hear, I mean, you can hear certain people breathing a bit heavier than normal. You know, it's all little things to <laughs> try and put you off. And, uh, and if you're losing, you, you can hear it a lot more. But, um, you know, I mean, he's only a young lad of 18. I don't know um, if he did anything or not, because unless you're actually on that stage, you wouldn't know. But I just feel that, um, I don't know, it's, Gary obviously was very angry about it and uh, it's up to, um, really, you've got a referee on stage. If This is what I don't get with the players sometimes. If it's happening, you should have a quiet word with the referee and say, look, he's doing something behind every time I throw. The referee then, if he feels that he's, he can see this happening, then he'll speak to the player. But you, you, you shouldn't wait till after the game every time. You know, stay the, say to the referee that something's happening on stage and, uh, and, and put it right because, you know, they're playing for big titles yeah. and... If Gary had lost that game and not been, you know, he has got a problem with his leg, but the lad had chances to be freeing up on Gary. So he could have lost that first game and virtually put himself out of the tournament. But, you know, gazenship, you know, if it is the case, I'm sorry, but that's always going to happen when there's a lot of money in sport. And obviously uh, they're playing for big titles. I mean, I remember years ago I played um, Peter Manley in the world match play at Blackpool and he was number three, uh, number four seed. And just before we'd been introduced, he turned around to me and said, 
when I beat you, he said, I'll be number three in the world. And I went, really? <laughs> well, don't fight, don't fight. And um, I was 4-1 up at the break, backstage, we went to an advert, I was 4-1 up, and I said, God, I'm only potentially being at the number three in the world. I thought, right, I'll, I'll play your game. <laughs> anyway, I was 7-3 up at the, sec- the second break. It was first to 11. And then I think I was 9-7 up, and Peter wanted 40, and I was on 127. So he went inside 20, inside 10, stopped and looked at my score and went, no. And busted the double five. He didn't even go for double five. And I took the 127 out. And I turned around and pointed. And you shouldn't have done that, which you shouldn't have done, really. But he was mm. just playing the mind game a whole way through the match. And then after I beat him, he said, uh, what were you playing at? I said, well, you told me you were, you were potentially number three in the world. I said, just for the record, I said, you're still number four. Bye-bye. But, you know, that was us in our day. So it goes on. And well, at the end of the day, it's, it's up to Gary now if he's not happy with it. I mean, what, what normally happens is they'll say something and they'll say, well, we'll let it go, move on. But once you've made an issue like this, I mean, and, and I mean, Gary just walked away from the interview, which it's not like Gary. I mean, he'll get his point across, but it's up to the, you know, the government body now to look into it and see if there was an issue. Well, a couple of other things, Keith. He's only 18, this lad, Adam Gorlas. He's Czech from the Czech Republic. So, I mean, he's very young to be learning all these old pros tricks. It does seem odd that he's doing it at this stage of his career. And I just wonder if there are other players thinking, or oh, if it gets under Gary's skin, it might be. It might give me a mm. bit of uh, a way of, uh, you know, beating him, which I wouldn't have otherwise. So there's always a bit of a danger of drawing too much attention in the fact that it does get under your skin. Well, exactly, Paul. And also with Gary. Gary's a player that just wants to get up there, which is right, play the darts. If he wins, fair enough. If he loses, well, tough. But... I mean, Go and Price was the perfect example. Gary hated all Go and Price going, go on, and giving it all that. Mm. And, uh, I remember speaking to Go and one of the, I think last, last year, beginning of the week of the Grand Slam, and we're just having a couple of drinks. And, uh, and I said, uh, they don't like it, do they? He went, no. I said, don't stop it. Keep it going. You know, I said, <laughs> you know, if you're getting under their skin, he went, I ain't stopping it. Don't worry. You know, and he loves it, you know, and fair play to go. And, I mean, I think you need that sort of reactions in sport. You don't want anyone like robots, do you? I mean, God, you turn off after 10 minutes. You want people with character. You are going to see things. I mean, I remember years ago, Eric played Jockey Wilson. And mm. we, we were just, they were just getting introduced. And Jockey went round and went, whack, kicked him in the leg. Oh, and Eric went, ow. <laughs> he said, what did you do that for? He went, I don't like you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's a good story. Yeah, he's a way to get under someone's skin. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, it's all different ways of doing it. It's on the stage. I mean, we had the um, we had a TV event. It was um, up north. It was just one of the regional televised events. And um, I was the trophy was half a trophy. I mean, it was an awful trophy. It was the top eight players in the world. Mm. Eric Walter and Eric Bristow. Well, what's all you lot doing here for? You know I'm going to take the trophy home. And you're all going, you've got to stop him. We've got to stop him. And he's already got his working already. And uh, yeah. he won it. He'd done the interview on TV. And he said, I'll just come back and win the other half of the trophy next year. And he did. That's the way it is. Love, love it to talk to you, Keith. Thanks for telling us your Thanks, tales. Keith. All the best. Brilliant. Take care. Bye-bye now. Former Darts World Champion Keith uh, Deller on the old skullduggery in the darts. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. Well, Hawksby, Andy Jacobs uh, here on TalkSport. Well, the top jump jockey, Barry Gareth, he called it a day earlier this year after a stellar career in which he won practically everything there was to win in uh, jump racing with some uh, fantastic horses along the way. And uh, we were fortunate enough to see his last hurrah at uh, Cheltenham, Andy, before lockdown happened. A uh, fantastic festival for him, so what a way to go out. But uh, we're very pleased to say he joins us now. His autobiography, True Colours, is out. Good afternoon, Barry. Good afternoon, boys. Do you think, had you not had that, I think it was it five winners in 11 rides at Cheltenham, do you think you would have carried on or, or not? Do you think that whatever would have happened, you would have called it a day? No, that was my last Cheltenham, um, and I knew that going into us. And I uh, I broke my leg badly in Aintree in 2019, and I was out for six months. And albeit I hadn't planned on retiring, through that time, all I wanted to do was get back at an external frame of my leg, and for 14 weeks, that was really difficult. So all I wanted to do was get back racing, But and I got back in October. But probably during December, I started to think, maybe, do you know what, this might be a bad year to, to finish up. I was 40, turning 41, and you just getting out in one piece isn't guaranteed. Mm. And I kind of felt that maybe maybe this is the time to do it. I was hoping for success at Cheltenham, but could never have dreamt of getting riding five winners from 11 rides. Yeah, I mean, it, it's always difficult to know when to go. And we've seen Ruby leave and we've seen AP McCoy and yourself are three great jockeys. It's uh, Hopefully there's some more coming along behind you. Yeah, there is. There's plenty of good talent there. But yeah, I, 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 was, I didn't really want to maybe stay too long and regret it. That was the biggest thing. And mm. I enjoyed it. I loved it. I loved it every the last minute of it right to the end. Um, and I knew going into Cheltenham that it was my final one. I was hoping for success, but more than anything, I wanted to enjoy it. And I probably showed way more emotion for that reason because I really embraced every single winner. It was, it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah you, you admit it being a bit of an adrenaline junkie. So how, have you missed it, Barry? How, how, what's it been like, this transition? Having it been so much part of your life, what, what's it been like? Uh, it's probably something that I was preparing myself for over the years, just being aware that, you know, you're, you're heading for 40, you're well down the back nine. And I'd say just make being aware of it. I, I worked with a mindfulness coach um, over the last couple of years and I think that prepared me. It just created more awareness. You are thinking, right, this is near the end and you get yourself prepared for it. It's not a shock to the system. I suppose the lockdown, thankfully it hasn't affected us directly through through COVID, but the slow of pace has been a help. I wasn't finishing up and watching racing and wanting to be there. So it was it gave me a good time to, to detox, if you like. 
The the other thing you, you talk about in the book, I mean, you, you sort of say, you know, you you're away an awful lot riding for Nicky Henderson. You're in you're over this side of the water and four days a week and riding all around the country, etc., as well as in Ireland. And you weren't around. Your kids were getting older, and th- that must have been one of the best things about it. I would imagine being there, being at home well, with the family now after after all these years of being on the road. Exactly, and and being on the road so much, and you're on call the whole time. You could get the call to get on an 8 o'clock flight to Gatwick on a Monday morning you could be gone for one day you could be gone for three days you just didn't know so you couldn't plan be it a weekend away you couldn't plan any holidays or anything um, our eldest who had a confirmation the same day as the entry Grand National flew over I obviously missed the confirmation I was in the entry and she flew over with Paula and, and her other kids for the for the entry meeting which is brilliant but everything revolved around racing so it's 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 a great change of pace and being able to plan and, and, and live a regular life you went out in a blaze of glory at Cheltenham, as we discussed earlier. And Cheltenham itself, we've grown to love it and think it's the most fantastic event. You must have seen how it's grown over the years, over your 24-year career, because it's become this massive thing now. It is massive, and it, it's brilliant. It's, it's great for the sport because it is Cheltenham is such a difficult place as a track in itself, um, and it's a real test of horse. But the, the whole occasion, the build-up, the excitement, the adrenaline for both horse and rider, it is the ultimate test of both the occasion in every sense so it's you know the quality of the racing you have the best from Ireland and England and even a few from France so it's it is brilliant and um, yeah it's, it's it's probably that'll be the hardest week of all for me being on the sidelines because that's the week that mattered the most you you talk about coming out in one piece uh, Barry and it, you know it, it when much like all great jump jockeys you look through the list of injuries and it's pretty hellish for the average man in the street <laughs> including 70 stitches in your face amongst all the, the breakages over the years but I, I'm sure we've talked we've talked to Ruby about this in some ways you know you've lost friends they're the guys that, that were close friends of yours that, that you've lost along the way as jockeys so I suppose that puts it in perspective really doesn't it it does and you know Kieran Kelly was a good friend of mine and he died back in 2003 I won the champion chase in Moscow Fair that year and he won the what was the Sun Lions hurdle on Hardy Eustace Kieran was a really good friend he sat beside me most days in the wear room and that was really hard to deal with at the time um, John Thomas McNamara got his fall in 2013 the day before Bobster won his Gold Cup and the Gold Cup didn't matter that year because of what had happened JT and we knew it faced him and his wife Caroline and kids so yeah you're aware of the risk although you don't acknowledge it at the time um, you're aware of it and in the end you know I was I was, as I say I didn't want to stay too long and regret staying because I'd won I was lucky I'd won anything and way more than I could have dreamt of so it felt it felt like the right time for a lot of reasons yeah it, it's an, the other thing as well, Barry. Is that the, the story—it's—it's—it's it's the ups and downs of a career. No one, you know, it's not like a, a sort of straight stellar rise to the top and all these great rides and all these great winners. There were mm. there were hiccups along the way, weren't there? And, and some of them you kind of admit yourself. And maybe you got a bit carried away with yourself at points at points of your career, and you had to knuckle down times when you, you know, you you, you were fearful you were going to lose key rides. So you you admit maybe along the way to a few to a few failings. Yeah, it's an honest book. You know, back in 2006, 2007, the tide had really turned to me and it was it was a struggle to get back. And, you know, was, I was struggling to get a, a reasonable ride, let alone dream of a good ride. Moscow Flyer had retired, Kicking King had finished as well. So I'd, I'd gone from a really strong position to all of a sudden I was I was really, as I say, swimming against the tide. But at the same time, then the opportunity came to ride for Nicky Henderson and, and that was a, a fresh injection of, of quality horses again and that got me back on. So... Between that and injuries, I've had I've had my fair share of ups and downs, and even a couple of years ago with JP, um, there was trainers doubting me, and um, 
weren't sure about me riding the horses so I had a bit of a struggle there too but thankfully JP gave me the opportunity to prove myself and he said to me prove them wrong and thankfully I did and he gave me the opportunity so there was lots of highs and lows and lots of personal struggles um, along the way but it, it, it was enjoyable Yeah Oh, we sorry. I think we've lost Andy. We've think we've lost Andy there. Um, we'll we'll we'll, we'll, uh, we'll try and get him back in a second. The um, would you your your three kids, Barry? Would you put them off being a jockey? I mean, you said you really enjoyed the life. How would you feel if whether any uh, any of your three thought, you know what, Dad, I'd like I'd like to do what you did. Um, if they wanted this, I would support them fully. Uh, but I'd be very happy if they didn't as well. Um, you know, it is. It's easier, it's like everything, it's easier to take the risk yourself than watch someone else do it. Yeah. And it, it's been a tough ride for my wife Paula watching on and seeing the injuries and just seeing the falls, dreading that this could be an injury. Um, so I can't say I'd be longing to see my children do it, but if that's what they want, I would support them fully. Mm. And we are, so we're all watching The Crown again, the new series of The Crown, and we've seen in previous ones the, the Queen and her love of, of horses. And there's some nice stories in the book about the, the, the Queen. And you say, you say that she's a real enthusiast. She really does know her stuff. Oh, she does. She's she's a brilliant horsewoman, and you'd know that from from being in conversation with her. Um, you know, she's well up to date on everything. But horse comes first, and I suppose the moment um, that that really struck me was at a old barber shop um, that the Queen owned in 2009 in the Gold Cup. And her final words she said to me as I went to, to mount up was, "If your chance is gone, don't give him a hard time," you know, which is really what wow. you want to hear. You know, she she had the horse's interest at heart. Don't 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 give him a hard rest if he doesn't if he's not going to be in the first three or four. So, yeah, no, she's a great woman, a lovely woman to meet, and but very very knowledgeable. And Barry, finally, are you planning to stay involved with the sport in terms of either training or the media? Or what are your future plans? Yeah, well, I've I've always enjoyed nurturing young talent. With Bob Zortier as a youngster, and we sold him on and had great success with him and other good nice horses over the years. So that's something I'm concentrating on at the minute and have been doing for the last. 10 or 15 years even so um, I'll enjoy that um, I've always worked closely with At The Races website which is part of Sky Sports Racing so I would I would envisage myself doing plenty of work for those over the years and even um, some maybe Trust TV as well so definitely staying involved it's, it's my uh, my first love and I'll be I'll be well well connected But training doesn't appeal Barry by the sound of it No well I spent 24 years trying to master one career so <laughs> <laughs> I think to go back to scratch, <laughs> it'll be it'll be a big call. So it's although I I love it and I love working with young horses, but yeah, I, I don't see myself um, rolling up the sleeves and getting stuck in again from scratch. Good stuff. Well, lovely to talk to you. We wish you well with the yeah, book. Lovely. Thanks very much. Cheers, bye. Thank you. Barry Garrett's autobiography, True Colours, is uh, out now. It is a really interesting, really fascinating story published by Headline in Hardback. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talksport. Now it's international uh, fortnight, or was it international month? I mean, I don't know, it just it seems to be dragging on. But uh, it does allow us to turn our attention, as we occasionally do, to the heady world of racing pigeons. Um, especially when there's a story as sexy as this. One is sold to a Chinese buyer for uh, £1.4 million. Pounds. A racing pigeon. Wow. That's, a, that's a lot of money. Uh, the man we often turn to when it comes, often when it comes to the sale of very expensive uh, pigeons, probably a bit rich for his blood, although I don't know any copies of his fine book, How Many Has Sold. I don't know if he, enough, possibly. <laughs> uh, Lee Charles, after, I mean, even he'd struggle, probably, you would think, to buy a pigeon for that money. John Day joins us, the author of the excellent book, Homing. Good afternoon, John. Afternoon, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a bit much for uh, even for me. <laughs> now, uh, this was um, a three-year-old hen called New Kim. 
sold by a, a Belgian pigeon owner. They sold the whole loft for an absolute fortune. So, I mean, were you even shocked at this? Somebody races <laughs> pigeons and is interested in the sport, or does nothing shock you anymore? No, I mean, pigeons do go for money that perhaps most people would consider to be uh, slightly extortionate. But um, this was a surprising sale, obviously, even um, even in those terms. Uh, there was, a, there was a, a, a bird sold last year called Armando that made headlines too for, I think, 1.2 million, and that was previously the most expensive bird ever sold. And I believe the person who's bought this pigeon, New Kim, is, is the same buyer. This, this bird's a hen, um, and uh, Armando was a cock, which is sort of even more surprising because hens are usually not as favoured as cocks for buying for breeding purposes. Mm. Obviously, they can't be put out to stud as readily as cocks can. So, you know, it was, a, it was an expensive, I mean, a surprisingly expensive sale. But um, I've been doing some back-of-the-fad packet calculations, and you can sort of see how a breeder might um, make, make a profit even um, spending that much on a single bird. Wow, really? Really? Explain yeah, how? Yeah, well, you know, so um, children, direct descendants of famous pigeons and very successful pigeons as this bird was. It was the, it was the best young bird in Belgium in the 2018 racing calendar um, and was never raced as an old bird. You know, direct children have already sold for about $20,000. And so if you're breeding New Kim with Armando, two of the most you know, famous birds, if not the best birds who ever have you know, lived in recent times, then you can be looking to make at least 30 grand off um, each of their direct descendants. And if you think a, a pigeon will lay two eggs every month for every year over the first eight years or so of its life, you can quickly, easily see how that would add up to about 10 million I've calculated on my oh, wow. bracket. OK, <laughs> yeah. we're in the wrong game, Andy. Let's go and get some pigeons. <laughs> I was being a bit uh, facetious yesterday. Uh, Not like you. About this. No, no. And saying, what happens if it flies over Trafalgar Square, meets a mate and never returns? But I mean, yeah. on a serious level, do they ever sort of just fly off and don't come back? Well, I'm afraid to say that um, New Kim's life is probably um, uh, inside for the rest of its life. A very gilded cage, I'd imagine, <laughs> she'll be living in. Because, of course, one of the things about buying a homing pigeon after it's already raced is that you can't ever race it again mm. unless you buy the home in which it's, uh, it lives too. Because once a pigeon reaches six months of age, it will... It will be um, imprinted on its home loft and it will only ever return to that place. So all these birds that are sold after they've already been raced for, for a season or two will be sold for stud and they'll be kept in, uh, in, a, in, a, in a loft for, you know, I'm sure a plush, um, beautiful loft in, in China where this bird has sold. And so they'll be used for breeding. So they'll never, they'll never be um, let out to fly free again, which is, I think, you know, it's a bit of a shame, but that's, that's the future that I'm sure New Kim will have a very pampered life even in that gilded cage. The family in, in uh, Belgium that sold this, uh, John, they sold quite a lot of the loft and it f just was it 4.48 million pounds it all went for. I mean, is this, wow. yeah. is this just sort of selling off and retiring or is this just, or will they start again? Because they obviously know what they're doing. Yeah, no, I think I think the story I read is that the um, the, the the sort of head of the loft there is getting out of, of the sport, so he'll be selling everything he owns and selling all those bloodlines. But he's probably spent a whole a lifetime developing. You know, mm. the thing about pigeon racing is it's a real, it's a really, it's a long game. You start with good stock, with good birds, and gradually you, you you breed from them and you you breed from the ones that do well in races. And eventually, you know, if you're successful and you do it for long enough, you get a strain perhaps named after you. So some of the most famous strains that people are still racing in in this country and across the world now are originally Belgian birds that have been you know, kept as a bloodline for up to 100 years, some of them. Um, and so these birds will now be um, moving to China and be bred together. And, and I'm sure whoever's racing them from now on will, will be selecting the best birds that come out of them. But, you know, it's a real, it's not, it sounds like a huge amount of money and it is a huge amount of money for, you know, for, for a single bird. But of course, a lifetime of expertise and, and, and attention has gone into the breeding of that bird. So mm. if you sort of quantify it in those terms, I don't think it seems as absurd as that. But yeah, I imagine the person who's packing up would be getting out of the sport if, if they're selling everything. Probably. How how does a race actually work? I mean, I'm trying to work because if they only fly back to their own lofts, yeah, uh, do they have <laughs> to sort of fly a certain? 
Yeah, how does it yeah, actually well, work, a race? The, the old boys say that it's a sport with one starting line but a thousand finishing gates, and that's true. You know, every <laughs> bird, So all the birds are marked, that is, a small rubber ring is put, placed on their legs um, on the Friday before a race, and then they're driven off to the liberation point, as it's called, a place where they'll be all released from <sighs> together. Then they'll all fly the different distances back to their home loss. But, of course, the distance they cover is slightly different. So the winner is judged on average time taken rather than total distance flown. So when the bird gets back to back home, back to your loft, you take the rubber ring off, a, off its leg and put it in a special clock that then locks the ring in place so you can't, you know, you can't cheat, can't tamper with it. And then people work out the average velocity down the club afterwards. And so a fast bird will be flying at you know, 1,600 to 1,800 yards per minute um, with with no wind at all, and and so they can, you know, that's about sort of fifty to sixty miles an hour that they can keep up all day. So they can, you know, they're, they're speedy creatures. Wow. Mm. Yeah, and uh, oh, that's fun, interesting, John. Funny, how how are your birds flying at the moment? <laughs> Mine aren't doing so well. Oh. Yeah, certainly not going to get one point four million for them. I, I had a, <laughs> I had an okay young bird season. The, the season's divided in two, so you fly birds bred. Um, in uh, in previous years for the first half of the season up until you know July or so and then the second half of the season is for young birds bred this year um, and yeah I, the less said about that the better but um, I, I, I live in hope that one day I'll, I'll breed a winner and uh, maybe I'll be able to retire And how much has the virus affected you all? I mean obviously you talked about your club in the book I mean it must be hard to get together uh, yeah. with everybody at the moment well, in some respects, homing, you know, pigeon racing is quite a good sport for lockdown in mm. that, you know, you, you sit at home watching the skies uh, and, and the pigeons sort of go out adventuring for you. So even when you're on lockdown, obviously, I still have to train the birds, still have to let them out to fly. Um, the club's been doing OK. We, we were able to meet. We meet in the open air to mark the birds. So that's been that's been possible during um you know, the, the earlier gap in lockdown over the summer. And no racing happens over winter anyway. So at the moment, you know, we're all fine. Just the birds are just hunkered down there. They're going through the molt. They've just finished the molt. So they're, they're just kind of in the loft and flying around locally. But there's no racing at the moment, not till next spring. So I hope that when things improve with the virus, the uh, pigeon racing will be able to start again as well. Excellent. Thanks for lending us your expertise again, John. Thank you. Anytime. There's John Day. It's a wonderful book, Homing. It's it's about pigeon racing, but it's it's about more than that. I think it's fair to say it's a really lovely book, and we do recommend it if you mm. want to pick up a copy. But uh, there we are. Everything you needed to know, including how they yeah, race I got the quite, loft. I've quite got the urge to get my own loft. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't got a roof, though, man. You live on a ground floor flat. <laughs> yeah, that's put them? true. <laughs> <laughs> you just hang them out the window. Might be a drawback. Maybe have it in the house. Have them in there. I don't yeah. know what the missus will say about that. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. Uh, Andy, I'll bring you sad news. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, we've we've spoke to Jonathan Watson on the show before. For 27 years, he has been part of the uh, the team bringing you only an excuse. It's shown in Scotland oh, on I New Year's show, Eve. Yeah. Brilliant, isn't it? I always record mm. it and watch it over Christmas. Well, it's coming to an end. 27 years on, uh, This they're going to do an hour-long special and uh, it will be the last episode. If people haven't seen it, I mean, they are, if they are coming to it late, and of course, if you've, if you've got Sky or whatever or Virgin, you can, you can download anything from BBC Scotland. Um, and it's brilliant. He's just a fantastic impressionist. Um, and he does kind of quite unusual impressions as well along the way, apart from a few you'd expect. But if you've never seen it before, go and treat yourself. It's an hour-long special. I think they've got some old clips from the past, but we should try and get... Jonathan on, I think, in the build-up to that, because it's, uh, it's a bit of an iconic That's a good show, idea. Really. I've always oh, been surprised so. there wasn't a version of that, really, for English football that's never taken, but it's, a, it's an institution, so I, I'll certainly miss it. 
There's a tradition in Scotland of, of being funny about football. <clears throat> I used to see this guy in Edinburgh, Bob Dulally. Yes, I, I remember. Him. Yeah, he was like a Brilliant. kind of. He's still going. He yeah. was like a sort of hybrid. Well, he's probably still is. A sort of, he used to do the sort of Archie. It was a bit Archie McPherson, wasn't it? And a bit of a, <laughs> yeah. a conglomerate of lots of Scottish <laughs> managers. But it was, it was a very good impression. Very good and just just funny, very yeah, funny yeah. indeed. Um, now I was watching Escape to the Chateau last night. Oh, me really? No, no football because it's International Week. Yeah. yeah, and I've decided that the man I most want to be in life is Dick Strawbridge. Really? I said that to Sue last night. She said to me, "Why?" I said, "Because he's he's so the opposite of me. He's so fantastically practical. Yeah, there's nothing Dick can't fix." Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> Whereas there's nothing I can fix, so I, I, it's it's always fun too. It's it's a very uh, what yeah. they've done with that place is incredible, really. So uh, I've yeah. Andy, I've been uh, I've been watching The Crown, uh, getting into that, and uh, oh, yeah, we've we'll watched a few episodes of this series, and it's coming for a bit of stick because there's been a lot of talk mm. about timelines being out and historical inaccuracies, but it is a drama, and I think we've seen in even the previous series, you know, it's an approximation of what went on. It, you know, it's factually based, yeah. but they obviously take liberties with dialogue and conversations that were had and other matters. And the, the, mm. in this series, the royal family not coming out of it massively well, certainly in relation no, to Diana. Not tremendous. But, um, <laughs> so a lot of people have been, have been pushing back on that. But there was a great letter yesterday from Dominic Witherow, Woking in Surrey, wrote to The Telegraph. And I thought it was just one mm. of those letters saying that he wasn't happy with some of the things he'd seen. He said, as staunch royalists, my wife and I decided to watch the new series of The Crown so that we could pick away its, its inaccuracies and untruths. However, despite the ample warnings in the press, we were unprepared for the depth of injustice on display, particularly towards <laughs> Prince Charles. Sake. But no, wait yeah. for it. The show's yeah. portrayal of his fishing technique was utterly unjustifiable. <laughs> to imagine that any self-respecting fisherman would allow his line to touch down so catastrophically is bad enough. But to then suggest that such a cast could possibly result in the landing of a fine salmon is tantamount to gross, almost criminal negligence. Never has a TV oh series managed to lose all credibility, and this is what makes it sport, with such a plomb. Because you only ever use the word aplomb, don't you, in one context, yeah. really, finished with aplomb. No one else uses the word aplomb in any other context. And even people, I don't know, you get just any any old pundit. I mean, Jimmy Bullard, for example, at some point, we're going to speak to Jim soon, on fishing. But even Jimmy, at one point, would have used the term, he finished with aplomb. Where else in his life would Jimmy get the chance to do that? He don't go down the pub and someone's just necking a Guinness saying, you finish that with a plomb. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. No, never. Yeah. So it's it's one of those words that only ever pops up in... It's nonsense, isn't it? It's like purchase. When, when, when purchase. anybody, when will the average working-class footballer who's retired and goes into the media say... Or they get very little purchase. You wouldn't use that in any other context. I would say I wouldn't open with this, but I'd, I'm just anyway. Carry on. I quite like it. I quite like it though. It's, okay, it's fair good. Enough, yeah. Now, of course, well, I'm finished with a plum. I'd like to think really that whole <laughs> you did, bit. Really, yeah. finished with a plum. Yeah. <laughs> There's been some wonderful tributes to uh, Des O'Connor, a fabulous entertainer. We, we talked about him yesterday on the show and how much we enjoyed meeting him and stars of showbiz lining up to say what a great bloke he was. But the, this letter in the star today it's just fascinating really it's from a bloke who calls him buddy he calls himself buddy fan 
so you'll get the idea. He said, sorry to hear of the passing of Des O'Connor. Meeting him someday was on my bucket list, as Buddy Holly had given him a guitar at the London Palladium, and I just wanted to touch it. So not really about Des at all, really, is it? Des didn't probably <laughs> carry that around with him. But, yeah, I mean, he probably is a minor stories like that, you know. Yeah, that is, that yeah. is, that is amazing, yeah. Talking of sad losses, did you see this radio station in France that's basically published, been in trouble for publishing yes. obituaries? <clears throat> they, people someone, who are very much alive. Someone pressed the wrong button and, and it, it, it fired off uh, a hundred obits. Oh a hundred of them. I mean, yeah. our own Queen, uh, that, that was yeah. announced. Pelé. In, Pelé. Yeah, and just it just went through the right, just a whole bunch of obits, so they're all still very much with us, which we're very pleased yeah. uh, to say. I just think, on a more serious note, um, Josh Butler, they're in South Africa, the England players, and I think we could well be talking about that later mm. this week um, to play one day as in T20s. And Josh Butler's, uh, he seems pretty stoic about it, and I, I know it's not you know working down the mines and all that, but still, he's just about to mm. go into his third bubble. After England, after the IPL, and now going into one as well in South... I mean, we keep talking about the amount of time sort of cricketers spend away, and, you know, that's pretty tough in Mm. itself, away from family and everything. But the third one in a row, that's got a mess with your head. As I said, he seems quite relaxed about the whole thing. And you think, oh, sitting in a room, eating hotel food and playing PlayStation or watching telly. Yeah, but do that for about what's going to be the equivalent of about six months for him. That's not good, is it? It's not good for you. Not good for your well being. Really. It's not good for anybody because one of the joys of touring is that you can, you know, you're in a, a, a new country, a lovely country, often, and you want to go and see the place. Yeah. They can't even do that. They can't go out and go for a walk along the beach or go for a walk. You know, they're in Cape Town, which is a really lovely place to go. So, now you do you do feel for them. Hopefully, this is you know just a short term thing. I should say that the uh, Pakistan Super League final between Karachi and Lahore has just got underway. Oh, Brilliant. Uh, on Channel 732, Hum Masala. It's looking good, actually. Yeah. And uh, I think I think Lahore are batting. Okay. For no <laughs> Fantastic. So you're the one who's watching it, Andy. I'm sure, I'm sure there's watching. a lot of um, Anglo-Pakistanis who'll be, who'll be <laughs> watching it all unfold, or watching it now, quite possibly. You know, it's, it's, no, no, it gets really. a huge Four o'clock. T- it's a huge TV audience, doesn't it, globally? so It's got great players playing in it. It's not yeah. quite the IPL, which is, of course, the absolute zenith of of. 2020 cricket, but it is. It's got a very stellar lineup. Yeah. So yeah, excellent. So I'll watch um, a bit of that. I mean, indeed, you're not now though. Later, eh? No, <laughs> I wouldn't mind you concentrating <laughs> for the next 45 minutes. Been tough enough today as it is. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talksport. There we are. That was this afternoon's show. We uh, return tomorrow from one. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between one and four p.m. on Talksport. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.